I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hey, welcome to episode 91 of the Andy J Podcast. I hope you're doing really well. Thank you so much for your company today. Last week we brought you the mental health episode and I sincerely hope if you've listened to it, it has brought you some assistance, some comfort if you've needed it and of course got you through what some people consider to be a very challenging time if you've been listening in real time. Then there are all sorts of studies that say the sort of festive period and the New Year stuff can be a real challenge for people. So I'm hoping last week's episode brought you some comfort and some assistance and some light in the darkness. Now this week, it's much more lighthearted. This is a fun, engaging, laugh out loud episode where we brought some of our favourite almost micro anecdotes a couple of these are less than two minutes long well in fact just one of them is less than two minutes long uh some of them are a bit longer but each case we just thought these were the unexpected funny laugh out loud moments with some big big guests i'll tell you who we're going to be hearing from today We'll be starting with Danny Wallace. Then we've got a side-splitting conversation with Keith Lemon. A remarkable, oh, just one of my favourite moments of the year with Michael Sheen, where he burst into the most incredible rendition. We'll get on to that. Then we have Harry Enfield, who, I mean, you know, just those words, Harry Enfield. You know there's laughter coming. The brilliant Timothy Small. Oh, what an actor he is. What an incredible career he's had as well. Great, great, great company. So Timothy Small will be delivering an anecdote that I think is very timely and very helpful, as well as being uh, one that will put a smile on your face. The wonderful Joe Wicks. Well, I mean, he got us through the first of the lockdowns. He was great company when I had a full hour with him. So we've included a, a snapshot of Joe. Then we turn to our Oscar-winning wonder kid, the glorious Olivia Coleman. She has a hilarious anecdote to share with us about her Oscar, so I can't wait to talk to her. We'll also have Oscar winner Florian Zeller sat alongside her, but it's primarily about Olivia in this glimpse. And we close out the show, we finish the show, with just a few minutes of fatherly advice from Liam Neeson. So that is your roll call of super conversations, and we'll get started with the brilliant Danny Wallace, who has just such a, a great anecdote that includes Pharrell Williams. Enjoy this one. The Andy J Podcast. Yeah, I, I read somewhere actually that it's at some stage soon, the sort of with AI and virtual technology and whatnot, you'll almost be able to live into a memory. You know what I mean? With mm. one of these devices, yeah. almost sort of like minority report type stuff. And you sort of think, God, yeah, I mean, that would be amazing and also heartbreaking, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It might be, it might be too much for our, for our brains right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that, you know, VR. Um, and, you know, there are some weird, there are some weird things that are out there right now. There's an app where you can put a picture of um, almost anyone from history or even your own history uh, in there, and it kind of animates them in that sort of 
deepfake way. Yeah. And it's spooky. And um, <laughs> it's funny. I wasn't sure if my mum was sort of ready for it, but there was an old photo of, of, of my dad when he was in his 20s. And I thought, let's, let's, let's give that a go because it'll be the, the man she met. And, um, and we both fell about laughing because it was absolutely rubbish. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it made it, it did the weirdest smile you've ever seen in your life. And he would have he would have laughed uh, with us, and I'm sure he was somewhere. <laughs> Good, yeah, they can be very strange. I I've I've discovered that I make an incredibly realistic Hulk, so uh, <laughs> very good. It's, it's very useful to know. Um, and presumably, <laughs> sorry, we we won't dwell on your dad, but but obviously, you know, you're a father to three children. I'm I'm sure yeah. that you have found that the lessons he taught you as a dad are ringing true in your own life every every minute of every day with your kids, presumably. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, he uh, was always very patient, um, fair, kind, and funny. And um, I try and instill as much of that in my kids as I can. Um, when they come back from school, I don't say, what did you learn today? Um, I say, what made you laugh today? And um, by, by asking that question, I get an answer that that no other parent at the school is getting yeah. because the, all the answers will be different about laughing. Um, Whereas if you say, what did you learn? Well, pretty much everyone is going to say about Egyptian pots or whatever. But, but asking about uh, laughing, um, it opens up a perspective that you don't normally get because it, it's like being invited into the playground. You know, one kid said this and this guy did that and, and they laugh at the kind of the memory of it and you start to see what they find funny, um, who they hang out with. Um, and you're pleased that their day involves, you know, joy rather than just Egyptian pots. Yes, I'm the same as you, actually. I, I never ask about the, the learning. I'm always like, who did you play with today? What was the game? Yeah. What were you doing at lunchtime? You know, that kind of stuff. Because it's just, that's the side of your, your, your children you want to know about, isn't it? I mean, sh well, I say some people might be more, more interested in the academic, but for me, I'm like, <laughs> not bothered in the slightest. Do what you want. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's that thing. It's, you know, have fun, um, you know, get involved and be nice. Those are the, those are the sort of the, the six words that, that you know mean a lot to me, whether it's um, whether it's in work or whether it's in play. Um, yeah, be nice, get involved, and have fun. I've got that written down, Danny. That was the first thing I wrote down. I, I always write notes about. I never write questions or any sort of talking points, but I always write notes <laughs> about people. And for some reason, that is the exact. Have you quoted that a bit? Because I've got that exactly down in my in my. Have you? Um, yeah. I wrote it for. Um, I, I, I summed up. A, I had to give a, a speech to some students once. And um, and that's what I distilled everything down to, those six words. So, yeah, so you may have seen that. It's literally, I've got your name at the top of my notebook. I've got multi-award <laughs> winning, of course, and I've written, of course. And then it says, be nice, get involved, have fun. Yeah, that's kind of my mantra. I love it. What a, Good. What a lovely way to live your life. Uh, I mean, Danny, <laughs> obviously fatherhood, you've been a dad, what, for 11 years now? Is that right? You're yeah, 11 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Has that changed your outlook on work and because you you are so driven that's one thing that's very apparent you're you, there's no sort of resting on your laurels you're always doing 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 what has being a dad taught you and how's it changed things for you um that you've got to keep doing uh, because you've suddenly got loads more shoes to buy yes um and um on and you're working on uh, much less sleep um with no spare time um so so you have to kind of make those those moments count but it also um it also teaches you that 
you don't want to say that you've you've sort of wasted Saturday mornings, for example, because I don't think you know having a lion or watching a film. I don't think that is wasting your time. I think that's that's it's what you need in the moment. But um, but when it's gone, you, you realise it's gone and it's not coming back for a long time. That kind of that sense of I'll just be able to do whatever I want. But you're part of a gang. You're part of a team, and you have kind of created this team out of thin air and the team gets more fun every day and um and now that they've they're they're sort of um sparring back and forth with they've got great comic timing and um they love each other but they annoy each other but they love each other and it's great to watch this this miniature a team kind of come together and we all get in our A-team van, which I wish was true, but it's not. It's just a family wagon. Yeah, and nice we go off and we have little adventures, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we go off and we have little adventures. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to, we were moving out of the city and we knew we wanted to move to the countryside so that they could run around and have fresh air and see trees and, you know, not always see just men spitting everywhere. <laughs> and, um, and we decided that before we moved to the countryside, um, you know, sometimes I do some work out in uh, America and because all I need is my laptop really to do what I do, we can kind of work anywhere. And so we went out to LA for a year and I wanted the kids to, to have a sunny year, a bit like when my dad um, we sold the car and bought an old camper van. And um, then we packed the camper van and we got in it and we drove for days um, to go to Berlin just as the wall was falling because my dad was a big expert in, on, on East Germany and, you know, East German literature and stuff. And so we wanted to see what would happen when East and West became one. And so out we went and it was an incredible year for me. And I went to this American school and hung out with, you know, big kids and ate currywurst every day. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice for the kids to have something similar? And so we went to LA and, um, and it was extraordinary because they were able to meet people that they would never normally meet and see things that they would never normally see and understand that there was a big, uh, a big world out there. And, um, and it was great. It was, it was, um, I mean, apart from the obvious, there was some, <laughs> there was, you know, there's some downsides to living there. Um, you know, uh, out here we, you know, in, in Britain, you know, there might be a snow warning, um, but out there they literally have to, uh, you know, do their gun control training, you know, hiding under tables in case there's an active shooter and these kids are, you know, seven and terrified. Um, but apart from that, it was cool. And it was in a quite a, not a show busy area that we lived, but the school had some showbiz dads. And there was one kid who um, was a bit mean to my son one day. And I said to another dad, I went, I'm going to have to work with his dad. And the guy went, oh, I wouldn't do that. And I said, well, is he quite big? Is he? And he said, no, his dad is Pharrell Williams. <laughs> so, uh, so I was like, yeah, I reckon I'll leave it. The Andy J Podcast. Gotta love Danny. Ah, he's great, great company. Can I just direct you to an hour with him on episode, I think it was 39. Yes, episode 39 of the Andy J Podcast, where we have a full hour together. He's terrific company, and it's full of, I mean, that was just sort of eight minutes plus... It, there's so much, so much to come from Danny. If you haven't heard that chat, I really recommend it. Right, time for a bit of a laughter. This is from episode 52 of the Andy J podcast, and here we go. 
Oh, he's always such an explosion of joy. It is the brilliant Keith Lemon. I've loved him since he first appeared on screen in various different guises, from Bo Selector and Proper Crimbo and all sorts of other kind of things, to, of course, uh, Celebrity Juice. And just when he runs on and gets behind his desk and just gives out that roar to the crowd, I just love his energy and his infectiousness. He's cheeky, he's mischievous, probably the same thing there, but he's hilarious and great, great fun. So here is a little moment about his room of shame with Keith Lemon. The Andy J Podcast. Um, so you never know, you know, I don't like to get uh, the big I am, I am. You never know what's around the corner. Um, you know, I just, but I just want to stay clear from eating kangaroos' pink bits in the jungle. I just don't really. I enjoy watching it, but when it comes to that time where I have to go in the jungle and eat some kangaroo pink bits, that's the make or break time. You're, you're either going to take you to the next level, or it brings the end, and I've got a massive tax bill to pay. Do you know what I mean? I so um, I'm not knocking anyone who's done it. I mean, it's, it, I mean, it worked. But isn't that funny? Scarlet Moffat's just appeared on telly. Wow. Um, coming out of the jungle, um, but yeah, it worked for Emily Atak. It really put her on the map, and she she's worked constantly since. Yes, it's true. It can give you yeah. a real spike. What about the others though? The dancing ones, the ice ones. Would you do any of those? No, I like watching them, but I don't really want to do, do them. No, I like watching them. I've been asked to do Strictly and, and some other stuff that I probably shouldn't say, but um, I, I don't. I don't. I don't want to do them. No, I just watch them. But when I'm not working, I'm, I'm busy making me stuff and doing stuff for Create and Craft um, on YouTube and on Instagram. And I've also got my own YouTube channel, Keep Them and Doing, where I make stuff. And people are often surprised uh, with my creative flair, especially because I'm so anarchic on celebrity. Just, it's not <laughs> egotistical to say myself that I am anarchic. I am because I'm drunk on celebrity <laughs> juice. So I am slightly anarchic. <laughs> I am. Everyone is. Um, that's why it's a mad show but uh, yeah when I'm chilling at home I, I, I honestly do make a lot of things I'm in the middle of made, making Ludo at the moment the, the big ginger creature from Labyrinth yeah. as requested by uh, my subscribers on YouTube because I, I started making some sort of 80s props and stuff and then I said oh what do you want to see me make and they said will you make Ludo from Labyrinth and someone said will you make Falcor from Never Any Story which I've just made yes. but over the past year I have, I know it's been weird times. So when I have been working um, to relax and, uh, you know, spare me brain from despair, I just make stuff all the time. Apparently, hobbies have, have gone through the roof. They have gone um, crazy. They've yeah. gone crazy. Falco, it's a lovely just... time. Apparently, people, young people like doing hobbies more than Zooming. But I said, I, I, when someone told me these facts, I said, well, I'd rather shower with nettles than do a Zoom. <laughs> I'm sick to death of Zooms, you know. I can't wait to go for a meeting. It, and moan about having a meeting that was a meeting to discuss when we're going to have a meeting, which I used to go, this isn't a proper meeting. We're just talking about a meeting that we're going to have. And But I'm sick to death of Zooms. I am. You know, when <laughs> lockdown started and we're having quizzes and stuff. Yeah. That lasted for about three days. And went, oh, I'm done with Zoom. Yeah. But when yeah, it's really, it's really cathartic to do crafting and stuff. So I, I was really chuffed when Creating Craft asked me um, to get involved with their YouTube channel as well. Well, this so, is yeah, really lovely as well because, I mean, your kind of experience at crafting has, has blown a lot of people away because you're incredibly good at it. But there's a lot of us out here who aren't any good, who are having a go for yeah. the first time. And well, I don't think that matters. You know, it doesn't matter if you're good or bad. That's the lovely thing about craft. 
choose something that you think you're, you're better at and, and just do it for a bit of fun, you know. That's, you know, whether that might be anything, you know. The kind of kind of crap that Stacey Solomon does, she makes um, plant pots out of bean tins and such, which to me, you know, that's not my cup of tea. And, and I, I, I've only learned to sculpt during lockdown. First time I've done it, and I've just, I'm good, I'm good at drawing. I know that I'm good at drawing drawing because i have me on t-shirts kill clothes yeah uh, and um incidentally um the caroline t-shirt be kind is still available and all profit for um that t-shirt goes to samaritans seeing as though it's a uh, mental health week so yes. i'll plug that in there Absolutely. um but um yeah, yeah I've, I've always drawn pictures and stuff and i do a lot of drawing but i've just realized that sculpting is like 3d drawing that's the most profound thing I've ever said in my life, I think. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen the sort of things you're creating, I mean, these are not small projects. We're looking at E.T., Baby Yoda, Pennywise. I mean, God, that was yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. You know, yeah, I made a life-size Pennywise. I mean, Mrs. like, what are you going to do with that? I think it's going to be fun at Halloween, isn't it? We're standing by door. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I make stuff for creating craft. And I'm, I'm there, they, they would send me products and go, hey, see what you can do with this. And I was painting leather jackets and stuff. And that's the first time I'd ever used clay um, to sculpt with. And I was making my baby Yoda, um, which really inspired me to do more sculpting. And I got hold of some stuff called Super Sculpt Super Sculpt sounds very like what Michael Jackson would say back in the day. Super Sculpt <laughs> And, and uh, I got obsessed with that. And that was suggested to me by a crafter called Wendy that was on the Fantastical Factory of Curious Craft, which I did on Channel 4. Channel 4, yeah. I stayed, I stayed in touch with a few people that I thought were amazing. And, you know, they go, oh, you should try using this and stuff. And you just do. And, and for some people, it's a it's a bit of fun to fill their spare time with. And for some people, they're, they're like purists that become proper artists. I think I'm in in the middle. I'm in the middle. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like somebody's mum crafting at home. And I'm, um, and I'm not like an artist. I'm, I'm in between, I think. Oh, I don't know. I mean, from the looks of how it's how it comes okay, across. Okay, I'll pick myself up. Yeah, I'm, come I'm, on. I'm, 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 I'm Tracy Emin. I'm David Ockney. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm an artist. <laughs> no, but you could yeah. do it professionally. I go for pints with them lot. I go for pints with them lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love... Are you drunk again? Will you stop dropping F-bombs? <laughs> and I'm not dropping F-bombs. Flipping heck. Does that count as an F-bomb? No, no. <laughs> no, I think you're all right. I think you're all right. And I love that you did the never-ending story. My friend's dad designed the original one, so I'm going to show you. No way. Him. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. I love that because there's always someone connected to someone who's done something in a British movie, you know? Uh, well, no, it's not a British movie, is it? Never in this story. Uh, no, it's not. But out? he was, but he was. So, Mr. Meddings, he was yeah, the kind yeah. of special effects superstar who created uh, the, the dude from the, the kind of flying dog thing. What's his name? Yeah. You know, Falcor. Falcor, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He yeah. created him. Amazing. Yeah. So I love wow, your wow. I, love I, wonder, I wonder where he is now. Falcor. Sat in a warehouse somewhere. Where where do you keep all your stuff, Keith? I have a special room which I call my room of shame. So a lot of people think <laughs> it's the room where I do my live Instagrams and the YouTube from, but that's my office. And um I can see the rest of my family getting worried that my corner of the office is getting filled with creatures. It's starting to look like Jim Henson's workshop. And um, so I'm, I'm praying that I get busy again so I stop, stop making little men. <laughs> love him, love Keith Lemon. Hope to be able to chat to him in more detail in 2022. Now then, 
I told you there'd be a very short moment, and this is with one of the nation's favourite actors, the legend that is Mr. Michael Sheen. We had a really lovely chat. It's episode 64 of the Andy J podcast. I hope you'll be able to seek that out. But this is at the very end of the conversation when we were just kind of winding up, and we got onto the topic of the fact he's, of course, a famous Welsh actor, and we got onto the subject of other famous Welsh actors. Richard Burton being the standout and it turns out that both he and I have an absolute love of War of the Worlds and I had to include this because it just oh it was one of my favourite moments the way Michael Sheen is able to channel Richard Burton and do a spot on rendition it's epic so I had to share it here you go Michael Sheen The Andy J Podcast I love that you've cited Richard Burton because, as you say, what a voice. I mean, mm. most people in the UK will know him from, the, obviously, all the movies he did, but that that opening line in War of the Worlds, mm. you know? Oh, yeah. Where he, no, oh. no one would have believed. Yes! The was... last part of the last century. Mine's immeasurably superior to ours. All of that, yeah. All of that. I was hoping you'd do it. That's all. Oh. surely they drew their plans against us. Dun, 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 dun. Oh. <laughs> I was very, I very, was very fortunate that I got to go to Jeff Wayne's studio, Jeff Wayne who wrote yes, uh, the War musical of, of yeah. War of the Worlds, yeah. that Richard Byrne did. Um, I got to do um, a new version of War of the Worlds uh, uh, in his studio with the original music and all that, and I did the, the, the part that Richard Byrne played, which was, oh, fantastic, because that album was is one of my favourites of all time, um, and to get to go, and, I, I, and in his studio, he was able to do that thing that, um, you know, at the mixing desk and play me the original recordings and oh. isolate certain things and all that. Oh, it was like a dream come true for them. That would be fantasy land. And just it just when they go, Bula! or whatever it is, I can't do yeah. it. Obviously, I can't do Bula! it. <laughs> That's the sound of the Martian. Yeah. Exactly. Here's me trying to do a Martian noise to Michael Sheen. Who the heck do I think I am? How dare I? <laughs> I just love it. I love it. Brilliant. Okay, let's carry on the fun, shall we? And here we go. This is Harry Enfield, who was, by the way, absolutely lovely. And we've we've subsequently had a bit of a text-based relationship, and I've seen his show. Uh, he was in a show at the West End that I went to see, and he was really great, really lovely guy. Anyway, he's got a terrific little anecdote involving David Bowie, and frankly, anything involving David Bowie has to make it onto this pod. So here is the hilarious Harry Enfield. The Andy J Podcast. It would be all right if sketch comedy travels abroad, but uh, it doesn't really. Um, you know, it doesn't really travel that much, whereas sitcoms do, because they're just sort of ideas. So they're easier to sell abroad. So if you're making a comedy that costs a lot more than a sitcom, and you can't sell it abroad, then, yeah. you know, it's a sort of double whammy on you, really. You know, there are a few people. It was, like, really funny. Um, Tony um, Visconti, you know, David Bowie's producer, and I met him uh, about a year ago. He was absolutely lovely. And he said that David used to get him to bring back Harry and Paul videos. Oh. I mean, Steve. To play in America when they were recording and they'd stop at lunchtime and have a sandwich and watch a bit of Harry and Paul. And at first, David had to explain to all the Americans in the studio why it was funny. And then Tony said, like, everyone got into it, you know. But obviously, you know, it's not everyone has David Bowie uh, 
kind of explaining why you're funny to you. So I would you have, can't, of course, generally. To be a fly on the wall, as he explained. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been amazing? Yeah, funny. Yeah. Did you ever meet him? <laughs> no, I didn't. No. No, I didn't, sadly. That's pretty cool no. to know he was such a fan, though, huh? Yeah, yeah. My brother-in-law met him because, you know, he's a big fan of British comedy, obviously. I mean, that's sort of how he started, really. That was his kind of persona when he started in the 60s. And he yeah. was always like a, a comic, you know, fan, big fan. And he was a big fan of Eddie Izzard. And Eddie's always out in America doing stuff. So my brother-in-law, who used to tour Eddie, he got to meet him. He got to meet everyone because <laughs> Eddie's so popular, you know. But uh, I didn't know, sadly. But it was nice to know. Still a pretty cool thing. To, yeah, I mean, that, that's the sort of thing that you can, like at the end of a long day, you're just kind of, your, your mind's going a bit crazy. You haven't, you can't really settle down and then you can go, actually, Bowie was a fan of mine. That's Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I was a fan of his, so we cancelled each other out. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, exactly. At the age of 12 or 13, if I'd ever known David Bowie was going to be, you know, like, if you got the new Harry Enfield DVD, I would have been pretty, pretty chuffed. Yes, that would have been amazing. And, and, and Harry, if you don't mind me saying, I mean, we do like to explore people's kind of progression to, to their life as we know it these days. And so I just want to take a very quick journey back because it's, I think it's quite well known about you, but I hope you don't mind me kind of reminding people that actually after studying politics at, at York and so on, you actually spent some time squatting and, and doing the milk round and so on. Well, um, that's not quite true. I mean, it's nearly true. Uh, when I was doing a milk round, that was in Finsbury Park, and it was just a, a holiday while I was being a student. And oh, then uh, I was staying with Paul Whitehouse, who was already a friend. This is sort of 1980. So this was when he was like a plasterer, is that right? No, he was actually, he worked for Hackney Council oh, House okay. Department. So he had a flat courtesy of Hackney Council because he worked there. So it was like really convenient for me to cycle to work at Finsbury Park. Um, but that was only when I was like a student. And then after that, I came down to London and just assumed I'd be allowed to stay in Paul's flat. Uh, and after about two weeks, he told me where to go because <laughs> so he didn't want me in the flat. And then a couple of weeks later, he rang up and said, look, there are all these empty flats that are boarded up and the council have decided they're going to give, um, they're going to give tenancy to anyone in them by a certain date. So me and my friend Ted, we went into one and, you know, we had various friends in a row and we squatted for about a week. And then a nice skinhead man from Hackney Council turned up and said, sign this form. If it was up to me, I'd put you up against the wall and shoot you, but it's not up to me. So I'm giving you tenancy instead. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And so, and so that's where the sort of the fabled partnership, because of course you and Paul then went on to do Saturday Live on Channel 4. And yeah. I think that's where Stavros and loads of money were created and so on. And then we know the rest from there. I mean, it's the glorious history. I mean, quick one for you, Harry, because I know we've, we've got to talk about the Windsors because it, I'm so excited yes, to discuss this with yeah. you. But, but just a quick one, because I'm really curious, because you and Paul had this amazing partnership for such a long time. And of course, you know, Kathy Burke got involved in a big way as well. But, but the very yeah. first show you guys did together after after Saturday Live, was called Harry Enfield's TV programme. Was was, yeah. was Paul not allowed in the title, or was that like, <laughs> what was going on there? Paul wasn't even allowed in the show at the time. Oh, fair enough. What happened with Paul is Paul was then, by then, he'd left Hatton Council and he was being a blaster. And every interview I gave, I was already sort of doing Stavros, and I was sort of 
you know, building up a career and doing splitting image and stuff like that and doing a lot of stand up. And so I was started to do interviews and I was doing these interviews in papers, you know, who's this new bloke in comedy? And one of the questions you get asked is, you know, who makes you, you know, which comedian makes you laugh more than any other, i.e. who are your heroes? And I'd say, well, my comedy hero is my mate Paul from the pub. And uh, this sort of got around a bit, to the extent that the Daily Mirror once <laughs> did a thing on, Harry's always going on, uh, uh, going on about his friend, in inverted commas, Paul Whitehouse. I, you know, trying to sort of make out I was gay. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And, uh, well, actually, back then, then, then that would have been a scandal, uh, Harry, to be fair. Back well, now, it would be yeah, then, applauded. But yeah. I mean, not to me. It was amusing to us. Yes. And then uh, um, basically, my producer, Jeff Perkins, at the time said, Look, it's bloke Paul. Why don't you get him in to write? Uh, because you're always going on about him and see if he wants to write with you. So he came in to write on Saturday Live with Charlie Higson. And uh, that. Immediately took off because that was the year we did loads of money, sort of thing. And then when I did my telly show, it was still like me, no one else in the business knew about Paul. And then Jeffrey said, Well, you know, okay, you write these parts, but we're going to audition for every part. So Paul had to audition for the characters he'd written. And of course, he was better than anyone else. So that's how he ended up in the show, really. <laughs> Podcast. We're bringing you some legends on this episode. You are listening to the Unexpected and Anecdotes episode of the Andy J Podcast. I hope you're enjoying it. This is just a few snapshots of some of the stars we've had over the last 12 months. And this one now, it's an inspirational story about how the brilliant Timothy Small it sounded like I said small then, didn't it? Timothy Spall. It's an in inspirational story about how the brilliant Timothy Small became the legendary actor he is today, and of course where it all began, and where many of the best things start. Dressed as a lion. The Andy J Podcast. Well, I rather thought you'd be humble, Timothy, but let's, let's be fair. You say you're indulged. I would suggest it's more talent without. And You've got talent in abundance. And I'm assuming this is something you've been acutely aware of from day one, really, because you started acting very young, didn't you? Well, I was. I went to RADA in 1976, uh, and then I came out in 78, and I've been acting since I, yeah, since I was, went there at 19, and I started at 21. So, yeah, people start earlier. Um, so, yeah, I've been at it. What's that? That makes 78 now. That's 40 by me, that. That's forty. That's forty three, four years, isn't it? Good God! Career. Yeah, um, yeah, a long time, isn't it? But um, yeah, um, well, I can't remember what your original question was earlier. Do forgive me. That's all right. I was merely saying how talented you are. Let's go back to the start, Timothy. If, oh, if, uh, if, yeah. <laughs> things, you know, I suppose I, I don't know. Uh, um, it's not for me to decide about that. You'd hope um, that there was something there that keeps you going. And, you know, and um, there's a compulsion that must be driven by something to, to keep doing something as ridiculous as acting, you know, <laughs> this desire to want to play other human beings and, 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 and try and investigate people's internal, emotional and intellectual poetry. Oh, I have a But, yeah. um, you know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> um, you know, but it's, it's true that, I mean, it sounds a bit 
you know, potential. But it is true. It's I'm fascinated by what goes on in other people's lives, whatever they do. You know, I, I, I'm really fascinated what, you know, what makes people tick. And I, I, I have been since I was a kid, I think, in, a, in an instinctive way, without, in, in an undemonstrable way, you know. And now I'm demonstrating it by, by, I suppose I had to demonstrate it in a way by, by this compulsion to want to be an actor, which is a, an affliction more than a choice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, I mean, let's talk about childhood, because I, I must say, you know, when you look at your, your sort of beginnings, the fact that you're the third of four boys and, and so on, you were brought up, I believe, on a council estate in Battersea. And in the early yeah. days, you didn't have a bathroom, you didn't have central heating. You know, these, as, as, no. as, as you look out your window as a sort of seven-year-old boy, you're not really yeah. thinking to yourself... Sounds like a Hovis Say again? <laughs> Sounds like a Hovis advert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, sorry about that. But, but the point is... Didn't have a bathroom, a top of our wheel on a bike. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you know what I'm getting at, though, Timothy. You know, you're, you're not the sort of character at that sort of age. You're not sort of thinking someday. You know, you'll be you'll be in Hollywood and you'll be winning awards and you'll be an OBE. You, you're sort of, I mean, this in the nicest possible way. I think you've said it in a previous interview. You know, it's the sort of upbringing where people expect you to go into a trade or something, not not be a lovey. Yeah, no, there, there was more of, yes, that, that was more prevalent in amongst the people um, that I was went to school with. Um, I mean, I happen to have, my, you know, my my parents were were both lovely, you know, ind- individuals. Uh, my dad was a scaffolder when I was born and then became a postman and then uh, a postal clerk. And my mum, uh, when I was born, as I've said this before, was uh, actually... You know, housewife, but working in a chip shop. Not when I was born. Uh, the, the point was, I was born, so I was born at home. That would have been um, impressive. Yeah. yeah, I was dropped into the hot vat. No, I mean, <laughs> uh, but um, no, um, but she was, um, you know, she was a self. She taught herself hairdressing, and then uh, did hairdressing in our house, and then got a little shop, and then was also a sang. Um, you know, was had a lovely voice and sang in uh, at pubs sometimes, and then. And then she, she won even won a, a talent contest at Butlin. So there's a little bit of that. And her dad, who was the Times, worked for the Times newspaper all his life. As a started out as a postboy, then ended up as a as a sales rep. You know, going around sending all the newspapers in the city mainly. Mm. Um, and this is eight years years ago. You know, uh, before the war and, and after the war. Um, so he he was also a uh, he he did a bit of um he and the mate and they did a bit of sort of entertaining as well you know so there was a little bit of a strain in it so we were very you know from very ordinary background but there was a, a slight sort of nod towards it you know what I mean so it wasn't completely bizarre although my mum you know uh, she wanted to go to she had aspirations when she was a girl to go to RADA um, which was the only drama school that you'd really you'd heard of at the time but her father had to point out that it was out of the question because he knew he couldn't afford it, you know. And it just, it wasn't something that you did unless you were very, very lucky, uh, you know, that in the in the 19, you know, early 40s, you know, uh, late 40s, early 50s. It wasn't something she could, um, you know, that, uh, that was like, was it going to ever happen? And she got married very young anyway, you know, my, she had my my oldest brother at, at, uh, at uh, 19, you know, so it was, um, 
you know, she she got on with it in that way. It was more of a fantasy than a reality, you know. Yes, yes. Do you think that's one of the reasons why she was so encouraging of you? Yeah, yes, indeed. I think when I, you know, when I did all of a sudden pop up and show a bit of, um, a bit of a spark, it was, you know, she and I decided my drama teacher, um, uh, Helen Amir, to to this day, I, I'm, uh, we remain. Uh, enormously grateful I just played the lion in the Wizard of Oz in the school play and it had gone well and she said um, you know she was helping me take my lion's nose off believe it or not <laughs> I played the lion in the Wizard of Oz and uh, she said I've never said this to any of my pupils before because it's a horrible business but I think you should be an actor and um, I thought my goodness me yeah. uh, and it was all a light went off like a, you know, the, the, my tiny little universe shifted and all of a sudden it made absolute sense, you know. Um, and um, and she said, I shall, you know, point you in the right direction if I can. And uh, she just thought it would be a good idea if I did, because I failed on my O-levels and A-levels apart from art. So she, she said, I think maybe you should go and do some A-level, O-levels elsewhere. And then she found this place that did a, drama course and O-levels at the same time. I dumped the O-level side after a while and just stuck with the drama. And then when I was 19, I, I well, 18, I joined the National Youth Theatre, 17 actually, and then at 19, I got into RADA myself. Mm. And I was over the moon, you know, um, and my dad. And and they were very willing to, to contribute. I got my a grant from the, uh, from the uh, GLC, um, uh, and uh, took for the pay for the fees, and then they contributed some subsistence for me as well. So you know, it was it was um you know it was it was with their support, uh, of course, and it was um and I think she was just so pleased because it was like something that she you know as I say was a fantasy, a desire, and I managed to do it. You know? Yes, yes, and and what a moment for your teacher to sort of suggest that to you. That, I mean, that's yeah. going out on a limb on her part, but she must have just thought this boy is that good. He's got to do well, it. I, when I think of it back then, it was kind of risky, wasn't it? You know, yeah. um, for her to suggest it, knowing um, knowing how, how you know, shark-infested that whole that world, but she must have had a, an idea that there was a, a big chance. And, uh, you know, thank you, Helen, if you're, if you're listening. And I, I've never managed to get hold of her. Um, thank you from the bottom of my heart, because... Uh, it kind of worked out. <laughs> it sure did. I bet she's watched everything you've done with such pride. Well, it's another my love, and I hope if she has and she's still around and listening or somebody does know her, give her my love and thanks. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's a life-changing moment, Timothy, and wow, thank goodness she did it. Yeah, I mean, it was, and then I, you know, it was funny to discover, you know, um, as well, just that, and then I did the, I can never remember if I did that. And then I played Alfred Pete Doolittle in the My Fair Lady at school. And then I ended up in the National Youth Theatre and ended up playing playing full staff. I'd never done really done Shakespeare at um, school. And all of a sudden, I was in Henry the Fourth Part One playing full staff, thinking, what the hell is this all about? That's a big you know, role. It's yeah. yeah, it's a noise, a wonderful part. And it's, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's Elizabethan language. And I, so I, you know, I'd had this, so I, I subsequently went on to be completely educated by my by, by my the privilege of my profession. You know, I went to RADA, I played did Shakespeare, Gorky, you know, um, you know, uh, 
Chekhov, Beaumarchais, uh, and, uh, you know, amazing um, writers and, uh, and introduced to a whole world of, of English literature that I've not, in a sense, I'd come to fresh and pure from a practical point of view, you know. So I had, I didn't have any, um, I didn't have any hang-ups about it. I didn't have any sense of um, boredom about having any structure about language. I just discovered it and, and uh, was able to, to, to learn in a very practical, hands-on way. Sometimes that's the best way, I think. You know, you love to learn quick and work it out yourself. Yes, you were like a clean page, weren't you, for for yeah. for the text, for the teachers. It must have been remarkable for them, actually. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember going when I was at Rado, I did this part in an Arnold Wesker play. I did play these two parts very early on. I'd only been at Rado for about four months. And the great thing about Rado then was then they got you out. Hugh Crutwell, who was the, the, uh, the principal, his idea was to get actors in front of an audience quicker, pay an audience. Let them learn on the job. So we did an um, we did an Arnold Wesker play, in which I played a a a, a Geordie um, union leader, middle aged, and a middle aged um, Tory cabinet minister. <laughs> two double parts, and um, I did these two parts. And I even borrowed an old sort of slightly posh looking jacket of my dad. Um, um, sort of a sort of a car, sort of a kind of safari coat for the tour, and then I got another old jacket. I don't remember what I did, and I just managed to cobble together a Geordie accent, and then did this very, you know, kind of Etonian type character. And uh, I was like twins, and well, I must be nineteen, yeah. And uh, I remember one of the voice teachers saying, "Um, that was that was rather good. Um, um, can I? Uh, how on earth?" Do um have you ex- been able to experience uh, you know it was it didn't mean to be patronizing. <laughs> how, how did you do it? This? How did you know about these characters? Uh, so well, I suppose I've I've been watching telly since I was born. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it was it was interesting that, that and I remember thinking, well, well, actually, in retrospect, how did I know? Because I certainly not many hadn't met any conservative ministers already, Geordie. Um, and it's all the uh, union leaders, and and it, you know, and it, that is a way. That is the way. That is a, you know, a, a, that had been a route for me to observe the world um, through television. So I, I, you know, I'd always had a very inquisitive mind, and also I read quite a lot. You know, I, I picked up by a mag, magpie like mine. So I was very inquisitive, and I, I, I do remember kind of coming up, working on these parts, thinking, actually, I didn't do this. I, you know, talk like this, and yeah, I can kind of get a character going, and then, and then I talk a bit like that. You know, and I thought, and I sort of worked it out, and then these characters, and I started thinking about where they're from, what they're, what they're like as human beings, and all of a sudden, I thought, oh, actually, yeah, I think, I think I can probably do this. It was really like that, you know. Wow. It was a quite a sort of interesting um, exercise, you know. You don't. It's one of them things you don't know you can do it until you do it, you know. Yes. Podcast. Love him, love Timothy Small. He's been absolutely joyful as well, incidentally. So many of my guests today have, have stayed in touch and it's been really, really remarkable. Timothy and I have a, an occasional email chat, which is really lovely. If you'd like to hear the full conversation with Timothy Small, we have a brilliant hour together where he talks everything from oh, Harry Potter to his 
weight loss to living on a boat to all kinds of stuff. He's just terrific. Episode 78, if you'd like to hear that. Harry Enfield, incidentally, is episode 74. Uh, so Timothy Spall is episode 78 of the Andy J podcast. Now then, we turn from an acting legend to a workout wonder kid. And it's time to talk about gold blue Peter badges, getting an MBE, and a monumental fart that travelled to Australia. <laughs> You've probably worked out who I'm talking about. It is the legend that is Joe Wicks. This is from episode 80 of the Andy J podcast. And it's just a quick chat with Joe. We couldn't not have Joe on. He's such a good company. He's such a good, good guy. I really like him. And this is a lovely chat. So here you go. Here is a snapshot from Joe Wicks. The Andy J podcast. Now, look, here's, here's a bit of fun for you. You've obviously received two amazing awards in the last couple of years. And I'm not taking away anything from either of them. They're massive. Joe, you've had the Blue, Wait, what are they? You've had the blue oh, Peter yeah. Gold Badge Award for the charity, you know, for the, for the children in need thing. And not many people get a gold badge from Blue Peter. And, of course, the big one, the MBE. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll be honest with you. I couldn't believe at the MBE and I was, I was pretty chuffed and I was, I was really proud. Like, I rang my mum and she was like in tears and I was like, I can't believe it. It's amazing. But then, when I got the gold badge, I went on Wikipedia and started looking at who's got a blue pit gold badge. And it was like Paul McCartney, yeah. David Attenborough, like some serious hitters. I was like, this is amazing. That's a rare. I, I think it's probably easier to get an MBE than if you get a blue pit gold badge. So, <laughs> That's what I was going to yeah, say. Yes. I was very honoured. Yeah, but if you had to choose the two, the gold badge. I would. You know what? When you're, you're up there with like, you know, yeah, like, your Attenboroughs and amazing rock stars and poets and musicians. I've, I've got to say, yeah, like I'm really chuffed with the uh, with the Blue Peter Gold badge. And I used to watch it as a kid as well. Like I didn't know much about MBEs, but I obviously, as a kid growing up watching Blue Peter, it's just like, wow, this is awesome, man. So yeah, thanks, thanks everyone that voted for me. It's very cool. It's very cool. Now, Joe, we've got quite a few fun subjects to talk about because we've we've done the deep stuff. And thank you for being so candid, by the way. I appreciate you, you know, going down with me and, and just kind of chatting through it properly rather than just kind no of worries, that's okay. That's really, really sound of you. Now we can have a bit of fun. We're going to start with the fart, if that's all right, because that was oh, one of my fart. fart. <laughs> I never, I'm never going to live this down. I always say it's the one thing that's never going to blow over. <laughs> One of my one of my favourite moments. Farts are never not funny, and the fact that you shared it yourself and and, and just went, yep. Oh, I owned it. I owned it, didn't I? You must. So let me explain quickly what happened. So, when you go live on YouTube, like it usually buffers for like thirty seconds, so you know it's going to go live in about thirty seconds. So, basically, I hadn't even hit the button, but I was like, I've got a really trapped wind in. I thought, if I don't do this now, I have to probably do it in the middle of a burpee or a squat jump or something. It's going to, it's not going to come out well, and it's live. So. I quickly let rip, let it out, and I and I just done the workout, didn't think anything of it. Do the workout, and I get a tweet saying, did Joe Wicks really just let an absolute <laughs> ripper off? So I was like, quickly went onto YouTube, watched the video back, and I was like, Dom, I said, my mate Dom who uploads my video, I said, Dom, delete that video now, get it down. But by the time by the time it had been removed, the Daily Mail had ripped it off the internet, so it was all over the internet, <laughs> it was being shared. And as you know, I said, I'm so embarrassed, but I owned it. I said, guys, something embarrassing has happened. I'm really sorry, and I and I owned it, and it, it was the most most engaged, like highly commented post I've ever done. People were just so happy, and so they were they just needed a laugh, I think, and it really helped them get through that day. Day, I think. See all that all that training, all that fitness, and all you needed to do was fart. <laughs> I know, but you know what? That fart travelled to Australia. I was doing like breakfast TV, and they rang me up in the middle of the night, and I got up and did the interview, and it was like. 
they just kept playing it over and over again. And then they were laughing so hard. And I said, guys, forget the point. Like, chill out. They're like, no, nah, we love a fart joke down under. We've got to keep playing it. And they just kept <laughs> doing it over and over again. Well, because it was pretty significant, Joe. It wasn't like a little tweeter. You know, it was a proper, you emptied it. And good for you. I panicked. Yeah, I, panicked. <laughs> I was panicking. I was like, I've got to do it before I go live. And it just, it just went up in speed and velocity. You could hear the... <laughs> You could hear the, the fear in it. Like, it was, it was a scary one. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I've, I've hosted lots of live telly before, and you do you do get a little bit nerves with the sort of five-second countdown. I mean, I've, I've never done what you did there, but my tummy's often threatened to do it. Was that a degree yeah. of nerves, or was it just, oh, oh, I haven't let this out yet? I just, yeah, I just didn't think for one second it was going to be recorded. I mean, this is funny. I went out the other day to a fest, uh, concert and saw this girl, and she was like, said, hi. She's like, I've got to ask you something. I said, yeah, go on. I've got to ask her. I said, right, yeah, what are you going to ask me? She basically went, you know that really loud fart you done? She goes, was it a smelly one? I said, no, it wasn't smelly. It was just trapped wind. I said, you must have done one before yoga or something. Like She's like, oh, yeah, cool stuff. I wouldn't do it live on YouTube. But, yeah, it's a funny moment. Funny moment. It really... The nation needed a laugh, and that was it. That was the one. You served it up with aplomb. Yeah, beautifully done. Now, the next one for you, because like I said, I've got a few fun chats. I don't know if this classifies as fun or not, because I'll need you to explain it to me. And this okay. was this was what happened on your 36th birthday. Your, your, what, I've, what I've written down here is your surfing horror, because your electric surfboard gave up on you. Yeah, well, they're actually, they're like motorized. They're like little jet skis. But basically, yeah, it's like a surfboard. You stand on it. You put your feet in the little holes, like like a windsurf kind of thing, like little foot straps. Yeah. You've got a, you've got a throttle on a, on a cable, so you, you pull the throttle and it whizzes along. So it's a two-stroke engine. It's basically like petrol with a bit of two-stroke oil. Super fun. I'm down in Dorset. We're flying through Durdle Door, going under the little arch. Like I'm living the dream. I'm having so much fun. The sun was shining. I'm with my wife, and like, we're both doing it. And I love that she did, does this stuff because I, I just love it. I just love being with her. I love that we're out on the sea doing this together. And so we, we're whizzing along. Anyway, I, if you get the engine wet, like if you flood it, it's really hard to restart. You've got to like dry the spark plug. You've got to re, you know, re-spark it. So I'm floating in the water, but there's no beach because it's like in between the two coves, yeah, like Lulworth Cove and Durdle Door. Okay. There's no, there's no beach. It's just rocks, like really sharp rocks, and you, you can't get to sand or get it off the water. So I'm like on this, I'm on this rock that's like pointing out of the water, and like waves are crashing over it. So I'm holding it up in the air, trying to empty it out, trying to get the water out, trying to restart, like, restart the engine. It's not happening. So Rosie's in the water said, Rosie, look, you're going to have to go and whiz back round to the cove, get a little rescue boat to come and pick me up. So she whizzes off into the sunset, <laughs> into the sunset around the corner. And just as they went past, just as she went away, sorry, a little dinghy went past, waving at me, like three guys on it. So I'm, in, I'm waving miles, I'm like, they think I'm just waving to say hi. I was like, no, I need your help, help, come over. So they, they, they drove over on the boat. And they're like, I know you, I recognize you, that, you're that fitness guy, aren't you? I said, oh, that's me. I said, look, it's my birthday. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Can you save me? And they're like, yeah. So I chucked the board on their little dinghy and they took me around to Lulworth Cove and I was like, was going, Rosie, they've saved me. I'm alive. And she was like, so embarrassed. It was really quiet and I'm just screaming on the boat. And that was it. Yeah, they saved me. But these guys, check this out. So they spend their day, they're called the Jurassic Coast Cleanup Gang and they like clean up the coast of plastic and debris and rubbish. And I said, what are the chances that you've come past and picked me out of the sea? Oh, good lads. What decent people. Yeah, lovely guys. Proper heroes. Oh, I love it. So you were saved by proper... That's terrific. What a lovely finish to that story. I love it. The Andy J Podcast. 
Okay, just two little clips to go. Joe Wicks is from episode 80, if you'd like to hear that in full. A lovely hour we spent together. But now it is time for acting royalty, quite literally, of course, as uh, the Queen, her Madge, in the crown. But uh, I'm talking now to Olivia Coleman. Now, she was sat with Florian Zeller, the incredible director. They both just brought out uh, the amazing movie Father uh, alongside Anthony Hopkins. And uh, Florian, in fact, had just won an Oscar for it. Anthony Hopkins also, I believe, won an Oscar for it. Olivia was Oscar nominated, but she has previously won an Oscar. Um, she didn't get it for this. She probably should have done. It, it was just staggeringly good. A really hard watch, but uh, totally brilliant. Anyway, Olivia is great company. This is a very short, it's about five minutes. She's so much company. I just, I loved her. She was so lovely. You know, when you kind of, you know, when you like someone already and then they just, we were watching each other on a Zoom and and she just gives this huge smile. And hello, Andy, how are you? And she was just really glorious. So I had to ask about the, uh, the, the Oscar, obviously. And so she tells me where she keeps it, which is wonderful. Here she is, the lovely Olivia Coleman. The Andy J Podcast. And so modest, Olivia. I mean, you're an Oscar winner as well. Please tell Florian, I'm assuming the buzz never wears off. Oh, no, it never wears off. <laughs> no, and in a little low moment, you just... Because mine's in a cupboard because I, I don't want to feel a bit, you know, I don't want to be showy-offy if anyone comes down. But in a private moment, I do sometimes go, <laughs> and then and close the cupboard again. <laughs> please, please tell me that's like a daily thing. I'd be checking it like every few minutes. Is it still there? Is it real? Yeah. Be- it happens more than I like to tell people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's amazing. The Andy J Podcast. Lover, lover, lover. If you'd like to hear uh, a longer chat with Olivia Coleman and indeed Florian Zeller, they were brilliant. They were wonderful company. Check out episode 56 of the Andy J podcast. And it's time for our final guest for this Unexpected Anecdotes. And this was unexpected. A conversation now. We're only going to give you a little brief, uh, again, about five minutes uh, of this. An unexpected conversation with the remarkable Liam Neeson. Now, I was speaking to Liam about a movie that had just come out, which he had starred in alongside his son, who was sat in the call but doesn't really talk, unfortunately. But I was having so much fun talking to Liam. But the thing is, I have uh, three children, and my third one had been born just five days before this conversation. And my littlest, as a baby, little baby, had watched the movie with me, which was something I had to share with Liam. So he unexpectedly gave me some fatherly advice, which I love. Because it also includes that I'm going to be taken hostage. Hearing that from the taken legend himself. Oh, yes. Talk about he knew what he was doing. I love him for it. Here he is. Here's Liam Neeson. The Andy J Podcast. I have to start by sharing something with you, which is that I watched your film, which obviously has a huge theme about father and son, with my five-day-old son. And it was such a special (laughs) moment. And I just thought, well, I've got to talk to you about this. I've got to mention it. Firstly, do you think he's your youngest viewer? Uh, Probably. Well, for a start, congratulations. Five days old. Uh, Is it five days old? Five days old, yeah. Wow. I'll tell you something that a very dear friend of mine told me. And she saw Michael lying in his crib when he was very, very young. She turned to me and she said, you know, you're a hostage 
for the rest of your life, <laughs> albeit a willing one, but you're still a hostage. So I'm saying it to you. The Andy J Podcast. Oh, yeah. If you'd like to hear that full conversation longer with Liam, you can check out episode 40 of the Andy J podcast. And that brings us to the end of the unexpected anecdotes chat. Oh, so much fun. What a special episode this has been. It's been lovely just kind of reliving some of these special moments from throughout the year. We've had some amazing guests and actually we've only scratched the surface in this episode. I would love you to go back and check out our phenomenal back catalogue. We're 91 episodes in now. So many of those 91 episodes are full hours with one individual. They're really rewarding, enriching, incredible conversations. If you've heard them already, thank you so much. Those of you that reach out to me week in, week out via social social media and, and other sources. I really, I'm so grateful to you. Thank you. If you're new to the show, well, hi, let's charge forward into 2022 together, shall we? Do check out the back catalogue. I've given you all of the uh, numbers of the people we've featured today, but I would implore you to seek out many of our other conversations because there are some great golden stories and just such honesty and truth from some amazing, huge, huge stars. So all that leaves me to say is thank you. We continue as normal from next week. We've got several really cool conversations lined up for you. They will be our specials. We also have uh, another sort of shorter special highlight show on the way as well uh, around the new terrifying theatre at the West End 222, which has three or four really big stars in. So we're going to be chatting to them. We'll be bringing that to you very, very soon. And then we'll be reverting to our one guest for an hour format as we move into to uh, where are we now as we move into 2022 hooray listen go well be kind make make someone smile and i'll speak to you very soon see ya hey it's paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing i love that luxury quality within reach go to quince.com style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com style